With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Tennis.com podcast. This is Ed McGrogan, and I'm here with Steve Tigner to run down the 2017 Australian Open, which I think will go down really from a, a collective tournament perspective. If you think about the men's draw, the women's draw, you know, what they all led to in the end. Um, we, you know, we don't often think about, about tournaments as a whole that way. Uh, we, we don't tend to even rank tournaments. I think we rank performances within tournaments of players. But I think, I think that, you know, to some this was such a, a satisfying two weeks for a variety of reasons. Um, and you got, you, you cap it with one of the more dramatic sets in the Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal rivalry period. Um, this Australian Open, I, I think, has got to be remembered and will be remembered years from now just um, as, the, as that two weeks where it all sort of came together as it rarely does in sports. Yeah, I mean, I think you can start with, with Federer. Uh, he's won 18 slams, but this is probably, you know, he said this one stands alone, and I think you can make a pretty good case that this was his most impressive achievement of his career, twenty, you know, almost twenty-year career. He beat Rafa for the first time in a Slam in ten years. He came back after six months. He won, beat four top ten players for the first time at a Slam. He won three matches in five sets for the first time at a Slam. Um, you know, like I said, beat his biggest rival, and. Did it all, you know? Did it at 35? Became the oldest man to win a Slam um, in 45 years. So you put all that together, and you can see why Federer says it stands alone. It almost sounded as if he he wanted to go out on top. He, he even he sort of referenced at the end, that even if I don't come back to Australia next year, which I'm sure he will. But it, it was that kind of feeling for him. I think you know I don't think he really expected to come back and win the first Slam that he played after after six months off. But I think. It also shows, um, you know, what he said that 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 rest did help. Um, that that time off can help. It helps. It helped Rafa, and it it definitely helped Federer. Yeah, I, I I think with the pressure off the the internal pressure off, and as I was even thinking about relative to where they are viewed in, in tennis, and they have and they where they have been viewed for so many years, you know. Roger and Rafa, I thought, came into this tournament, quite frankly, as afterthoughts for any sort of um, long-term discussion of this tournament. I, I think that it was referenced many times by Federer that, you know, a fourth round or a quarterfinal would have been a surprise. And I think we have to, I think it's still 
valid to say, even knowing what we know now about Federer. It's just, it, it was that unlikely a showing from both men. And, you know, even though Nadal comes up short in that final, it, it was it was a, it was really a, a, a tremendous performance from him as well. Um, I, I thought, that, and, and what you say about Federer, possibly taking that Sampras route, who, by the way, also won with the 17 seed. That seeding number is going to go down in lore, too. Um, I didn't even catch that he that he alluded to that, possibly uh, you know, leaving that door open, sort of. But, but certainly, I think all has been accomplished for Federer now. And as if it wasn't all gravy on, you know, from here on out, you know, I'm kind of curious what he does with the rest of this year, you know, given that I think he's probably achieved all he would have wanted to in going into this season about a month into the year. Well, I think he, you know, he's not going to just come back to play and win one tournament. I think he he still wants to win Wimbledon just as much as ever or any slam. I don't think that affects, you know, I don't think that changes his outlook on on the season. Um, I think for Rafa, it's an interesting to see where he'll go. In one way, it was a good tournament for him. I think he he referenced his win over Zverev, which I thought was an important win. It was the type of match he'd been losing, playing well and losing. This time he played well and he won, and then it showed that he could do that again against you know, maybe Raonic, the third seed, and then one in five sets over Dimitrov. Um, so those were important wins. I think just to show him again that that playing well can lead to winning for him. It really hadn't happened for a while in big matches. But then in the final, he went back a little bit to, to what he'd been doing. He he lost from a 3-1 lead in the fifth set, a place he never would have really lost you know, in his prime, um, even, against, you know, even against a guy as good as Federer. Uh, Federer started to play better, and, then, and I think Rafa got nervous. Um, so in that sense, that final... It's a little bit of a step back. We'll see whether how it, that affects him going forward. He seemed happy with the with the month with his month in Australia and, and with the tournament. This is the second time he's lost from a breakup in the fifth set in the final of the Australian Open. That's got to be a tough one to another tough one to forget. But but he's got clay coming up. So you know it's great for Federer that he's back. Great news that Federer's back and Rafa is is also back and maybe even with clay coming up he's. You know, he's the guy who will take more from this and, and the guy who will be more dangerous, you know, right away during these next few months. Yeah, we've been, you know, tough losses in, in slam finals have actually really been one of Rogers' um, calling cards for a little while. And now Nadal, as you say, really has two very tough ones in the Australian Open finals against Djokovic in 2012, both times up a break um, and just unable to seal it there. You know, in in terms of their best in terms of their their best matches, um, you know where do you or I should really say not even their best matches. Let's just stick with Federer for a minute. I think we're, I think you're you know the case clearly can be made that maybe this was you know the match of his career. I think I think contenders you know I, I think back to the 07 Wimbledon final you know him beating Roth in five you know other Federer matches. Of his career that you you know, might what you put in that discussion, you think about the Roddick uh, win in Wimbledon sixteen fourteen, you know beating Djokovic at the French when when Djokovic was undefeated, you know the Del Potro win in the Olympics, you know in third set overtime, but you know clearly this is one of 
you, I guess, do you put it, uh, where do you put it if you, if you have sort of a ranking of uh, Federer's all-time wins? Well, I think I had put it, I guess I would, I was thinking of in the Federer and Nadal rivalry, I think it's, I think it goes fourth. Um, first is the 2008 Wimbledon, second is Rome, 2006. Third is the one you mentioned, Federer's win in 2007, and this one was a lot like that. Um, Nadal with an early lead in the fifth, and then, and then he just gives Federer just enough room, and then Federer runs away with it. It's really the same, the same pattern as that match from ten years ago. Um, but I would put this one right behind that one, because I, in in their rivalry. And as far as his wins, maybe it's number one. I mean, he says he said it's it stands above. It's his biggest win over his over the guy who'd beaten him the most. Um, you know, I think maybe this does. You know, this does top for him personally any of his other other wins over the years. Um, so I think you know, I, I don't know what that that means going forward. I think you know you'd almost think Federer might might think, well, it all happened a little too fast. You know, he's, he's probably his head spinning as, as to what you know he probably expected to build into the season. Now he's had maybe one of his maybe his greatest win to to start it out. I think this is a good time to work to bring Murray and Djokovic into the discussion here. And I, not that Federer and Nadal needs any more fuel than it has inherently because of such deep passions from fans on both sides and the rivalry that spanned more than a decade. But I do wonder if, if coming off of a season in which it, in which it was clearly the Federer, the excuse me, the Djokovic and Murray show from start to finish um, with Roger and Rafa beset by injuries and it, it seemed and perhaps still is you know really the the shift from the Roger Rafa era to the you know the time when Murray and Djokovic staked their claims I wonder if if the such the excitement and the interest in this match was in any way buoyed by the fact that we just came off of a year where Two different players in styles, but um, and certainly that don't have the degree of worldwide fandom that Roger and Rafa have amassed over the years. I wonder if it had anything really to do, you know, with the dynamic in this match. And you know, just thinking back, really on, on Murray and Djokovic, it, it does seem like such a long time ago now at this point to consider, you know, what went wrong for them. It's, you know, it really is. It really was surprising for what happened to those two you know nearly on um you know on a com- somewhat comparable level to what we saw from Roger and Rafa you had yeah Djokovic coming in this tournament you know kind of with the year wiped away 2016 and let's not forget he beat Murray in the Doha final before the Aussie Open so you figured given his history in Melbourne you know this was Finally, Djokovic's time to right the ship, and Murray. It was you know just as unexpected a loss to uh, to, to Misha Zverev, you know, with holding the top seed. So, you know, there's also these two guys to consider within this whole discussion. Yeah, we started out the tournament talking about them. It looked like they were um, setting up. You know, I'm, I thought after the Doha match, which was an excellent match, that is really setting up for well now. It's, now it's finally the time when Djokovic Murray the Murray rivalry is really going to take off and people are going to begin to appreciate that. Obviously, that's not how it happened. Nobody nobody's even mentioning them now. It's like they've 
been wiped off the face of you know the tennis world. Um, but I think they both, you know, it de- depending on how much you think the courts were sped up, they both seem to be hurt by that. Um, Djokovic lost in five sets to a hard-hitting guy, Dennis Istomin, he normally wouldn't lose to, and then Murray was beaten by Misha Zverev, a certain Viler he normally wouldn't lose to. You, you wonder how much the courts and the conditions affected them, and also they had the they had the opposite problem. If Federer and Nadal had some time off to get ready for this one, those guys fought all the way till the end in November, um, and then had to bounce back. They normally do, but obviously this time they didn't. I don't think. Rafa and Roger getting to the final is, is going to be a trend, and I don't think Djokovic-Murray losing early is going to be a trend. Um, it's definitely shocking that they both lost there because this is probably the perfect surface for both of them. Um, but I think they'll, be, you know, they'll bounce back. They'll, they'll be the guys to watch the most in Indian Wells, Miami, um, through the clay season with Rafa. You know, I, think, I think now Nadal becomes a big, bigger threat at the French, and Federer becomes a bigger threat at Wimbledon than, than they would have been. But you know, you still have to remember those Murray and Djokovic are the guys still. Yeah, um, yeah, it's going to be, and and this time of year too, right after the Aussie Open, it's not like Murray and Djokovic have relented over the past, uh, you know, many number of years. They typically ha- have continued um, after good runs in Melbourne with uh, similarly strong hardcore play when uh, the tours, you know, come back to North America here. So it's, it, uh, you know, I, I, it does seem more aberration than, uh, than not given how consistent these two have been um, at the Australian open and in other events. So, but certainly, you know, something we'll be watching for. I would say that I seemed a little concerned about Djokovic's attitude afterwards. He didn't, he really didn't seem, he seemed pretty down after this loss. You know, he a little more than I thought he would have it. You know, as if finally, you know, Australia. He had said it always been the place where he, where he really does well, and this time he didn't. I think that that seemed to have an effect on him. This is his, you know, his like home away from home tennis wise, and he couldn't do it here. Um, you know, it's just one match, and, and and he'll definitely be back in a way he can look at Roger and Rafa and think, well, my. I'm not getting old, actually. You know, I'm still younger than those guys, and my de- I'm, it's not inevitable that I'm. This is a decline from getting old, but I did. I did feel like he seemed a little negative after the Australian Open. Maybe playing Davis Cup will will help him bounce back. Yeah, the, those two both uh, 29 years old. They turned 30 this year. I, I think the the last man we that certainly has to be mentioned is Grigor Dimitrov, and um, and his. You know, just play really from start to finish of this tournament. Um, certainly, I think many people might even contend that the best match he played was the one he lost over Rafael Nadal. That's uh, that's I think the kind of level we saw uh, from Rafa. But really, you know, Dimitrov. There were whispers. There were sort of you know signs of this at the end of last year, seeing Dimitrov. Um, you know, kind of really just reassess, I think, his, I think what the game uh, means to him a little bit. He, he has he had a new voice in his corner in Danny Valverdu. Um, I, I, I did, you know, when previewing this season, I, I didn't think it was, um, I didn't think it was out there to consider Dimitrov as maybe someone who could, who could take a little bit of a leap, really a leap back to where he was because, you know, you, you did have, 
Murray Jokic won too, but you but a lot was unsettled under under uh, you know under that tier there, and um, you know Dimitrov, I think I think it was an important time really for him to kind of show this uh, this performance on a on a big stage over best of five set play. Um, you know the the kind of longer this lingers, uh, you, you do wonder you know whether all that potential and talent will make good at some point, but. I just think you saw a, you know, you saw obviously the artistry from Dimitrov, but I did think you saw really a lot of that grit that I think some people have have said has been missing from his game and was necessary to battle the best in the world at tournaments like these. And, um, you know, it was a great fortnight to watch Dimitrov as well. Yeah, yeah, as much as people liked Love the fact that Federer and Nadal were back in the final. I think the fact that Dimitrov played this well is just as important for for tennis for the future. You know, he's he's a guy that people have been waiting for. He's a guy who who can make any match entertaining just with his style of play. He's like Federer in that way. I think he played with more patience this time. Um, obviously, everything is more solid. The way he's talked about, the way he's going about his game, it's just made it. The way he's practicing is, you know, he's made everything more solid and consistent, especially on the backhand. I think he was, you know, a, a more patient and smart in the way he played points. Not, I feel like he's always felt this need to be aggressive. That's what everyone always says. You have to be, you know, to be more aggressive. That's that's like that's pretty much the only strategy anybody talks about in tennis. And I feel like Dimitrov overlearned that in the years. He 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 felt the need to use all of his shots. Uh, and seemed to max out on being aggressive at this at this tournament. He was a little more played the points a little smarter, constructed the points a little laid back when he needed to. Um, and but then, and he seemed like he was going to to really break through against Rafi. That was probably the best played match of the tournament. Um, we'll see whether losing that whether that has any kind of negative effect in the end. Hopefully not for Dimitrov. You know, it's, it was a great month for him i think he and valverdu are a good combination they seem they seem almost like the same person uh, very laid back uh, they seem to you know a perfect combination um personality wise so so you know all of that is 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 good i think dimitrov's that's probably the best news tennis has had you know in this opening month overall yeah, it's a great, uh, you know, as and I think adds to that just, you know, the layers of this tournament being, I think, a very satisfying one for a lot of fans. Um, let's move to the women's side. And Venus and Serena Williams make the final, uh, 35 and 36 years old. You know, you could, I think it's, I think you could almost... Uh, make it a toss-up as to which final was which final round matchup was more surprising given given really I mean especially Venus you know although she has you know this is not the first time that she has been um sort of close to breaking through again at, at a slam even you know she she is she's maintained herself as a big match player even at uh you know being I I would guess the oldest player in the tournament unless I'm forgetting someone like a Karlovich or someone like that but um I thought I thought her win over Vandeweghe who we'll get to in a little while was was one of the more entertaining matches of the tournament um in the semis I thought that was um I thought both of those two just really kind of brought it out of each other you had you know clearly the uh the you know the all-american dynamic going on there too and and now and although this was not 
a great final and certainly didn't have the drama of the Federer Nadal final. Um, you get you, know, you get really you get you got to saw you got to see Serena. I think really throughout this whole tournament, you know, kind of resembling um, you know the really the the dominant player back. You know, it seems a little while ago in 2015. Last year was such a you know was. It was so unexpected almost every time, even though it happened a couple of times for her to, to, you know, to not get to a final lose to Kerber in Melbourne, get to final lose to Muguruza and uh, at Roland Garros. She loses to Pliskova at the Open. Um, I, I wonder if playing Venus almost focused her more in a sense where, um, you know, against players that I think she would classify herself as superior to, even though she might not outright say that that running into resistance can be really detrimental to her. I think her obvious reverence and, and love and respect for Venus, I think probably almost reined in herself to, to, to not let this one, uh, this opportunity get away. And obviously the head to head between them over their careers is, has favored Serena. But I do, I do wonder if, if that, you know, some things didn't change in, in a sense and, and, you know, seeing Serena come on top, over Venus, um, you know, was one of those things. Yeah, I feel like Serena from the beginning of this tournament seemed ready for the challenge. You know, she she uh, had Belinda Benchitz in the first round. I feel like that was a good. We talked about that as a bad draw. I think it was ended up being a good draw because it got her right into the tournament. She was ready for that, very sharp in that match. Then she had the in the quarter. She played the person who was playing the best in the tournament. I think you know, or surprising or the most surprising. Uh, level of play was Conta. She Serena was definitely ready for that one. She won that easily. And then I think in the final, Serena was nervous. She smashed her racket in the, like the third game. She was tense against Venus. I think it was the main thing that helped was Venus also was tense and didn't play well. You know, each time Venus seemed to have a chance, she dropped the ball in the net. She wasn't going for the shots that she always goes for. You know, she's famous for going if she as a if she makes an error in a way it's because she's gone for too much that wasn't the case in this match she seemed just as affected and tense as as serena was so i think that that helped you know in that sense playing venus helped um and you know but the fact that venus was there is pretty amazing she hadn't been to the final of this tournament 14 years um she didn't have the toughest draw but you're right about the vandaway match she i thought she might lose that because she wouldn't be able to handle Coco's power. Vandaway had beaten Kerber and Muguruza easily, but Venus adjusted to it, um, got better, you know, learned quickly how to face uh, Vandaway's power and beat her at that. That was really a, seemed like a veteran match from Venus. Um, so just like Federer and Nadal, this is a match that, that, that people wanted to see and also people couldn't believe was actually going to happen as the tournament went along and then and then you know it came true and with the win serena now 23 grand slam single titles she uh she passes steffi graf on the list becomes the leader in the open era count and trailing only margaret court who has 24 and i think um you know with with this 23 being out of the way i think it was a big talking point for a while it became one of those themes that never really went away that you know the questions were always there about it um 
for Serena. I, I do wonder um, if if sort of like the 18th major title for her that that put her past um, Chrissy and Martina at the Open, and I believe 2014 that was. Um, that one seemed to free her up a little bit and let her, you know, sort of have that that hurdle passed. And I, I mean, I don't think it's out of uh, any question that that twenty five, you know, to, to be that sort of that undisputed champion is on the table and certainly something that Serena, you know, will be shooting for, even if she doesn't go out and go ahead and say it herself. Yeah, I think she'll get to twenty five now. There doesn't seem to be anybody stopping her. Kerber. Um, this wasn't a good tournament for her. It hasn't been a good start to the year. She got beaten badly by Vandeweghe. Um, it showed again that she can be overpowered. She doesn't seem to be, you know, it's not like she's going to be standing in Serena's way at every tournament. This tournament did have a couple of people missing, most notably is Victoria Azarenka. That's somebody she, that Serena may have to deal with going forward. But that, but um, I don't see any reason why she can't, why she won't win two more. She she also has her sister as sort of inspiration you know as long as venus is playing i feel like serena will want to keep playing uh, and venus doesn't seem to have to you know there doesn't seem to be any stopping venus she's talking about 2020 already so i think we i don't think serena there's you know, any reason why she won't become the all-time slam winner serena and tom brady that was the just the joint little thought i had right now about you know when is you know, win is enough, enough, and there's really no indication that uh, that either one is uh, is ready to to pack it in, and uh, we may very well see another title for uh, one of those two in the coming days here. Um, and you know, I, you make a good point about who was not here at this Open, um, and I think it, it it adds a lot to what we're what will be coming out in the next couple months, especially as we get to the French with, um, with Azarenka Sharapova as well, um, to Madison Keys also. And I, and I did want to mention too, with making, you know, Keys not in this draw, but Vandaway, as I said, um, if you, uh, if you want to consider her sort of a, a replacement in a sense, um, she really played that part of, uh, of, the younger, she's 25, not certainly not very very young player, but um, but really, for for what I would say is the first time, kind of saw the really the the power potential of her game all unleashed, and her wins over Muguruza Muguruza match was it was a dusting period, and the Kerber win, it was I remember watching that match and looking. Um, and it, it seemed as as that match was ending, it it wasn't as if it wasn't as if the crowd was almost bubbling with sort of the anticipation of you know we're going to witness an upset of the number one player being defeated by an unseated player. You never got that sort of sense at all. It was almost as if, and I I know this may come off as a knock on Kerber, but it just didn't have that sort of um, you know that 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 feel to it. It was, and even Vandaway herself, after winning that match, it was instead of, um, you know, a, a, a fall to the ground sort of celebration, just in disbelief. It was, I mean, it was the total opposite. It was, it was her really almost shrugging to her box and, and, and her, her mannerisms over the tournament became sort of a story in themselves. But, uh, 
But Vandaway, um, like Dimitrov on the men's side, you know, goes down in the semis. But you know, clearly this is a huge stepping point for her, and and where she takes it from here, um, you know, with events that she like Wimbledon, in particular. Um, you know, it, she'll be a name to, to be reckoned with there. Yeah, I agree. With the Kerber match, there was really no feeling that here's somebody is about to beat the number one. Somebody coming out of nowhere um, is about to beat the number one player in the world. It was just seemed like another match. That's definitely a bad sign for Kerber. She seemed pretty, I guess she must have seemed very ordinary um, so far this year. And even and even Vandaway acted like it was, she couldn't believe how easy it was. And that's the way she was after the Muguruza match. After beating Muguruza 4-0... and she comes off the court and says she really didn't feel like she played that well. Uh, yeah, I but she has that, that yep. potential. She has more. She has, I guess, like Madison Keys. She has more power than, and if she can get it going, she has more than anybody, almost anybody, really. Um, the average player just can't stay with her if she's making her shots. You could see that it, you know, it looked like she was going to reach the final playing that way, um, but you can see she couldn't quite tone it down and and make more shots against venus when she needed to when venus kind of uh locked in and started to to return her shots coco couldn't quite um you know play a little safer and maybe that's something she can she can learn that's not her style she goes for it um and, and it, it's worked you know now you can see you can definitely see the potential she could easily win a grand slam with with the game she has any final uh, thoughts on the tournament? Any players um, or just uh, last words on the Australian Open, which, uh, again, I, I feel like this we, – we do say this each year. I, I have – you know, the players coming off of whatever degree of offseason they have, um, this tournament has – it rarely has disappointed. This has been a – you know – and and we think back to where I know you know where the Australian Open was, you know, 15 years ago in in terms of prestige. Um, this one tends to deliver, and unquestionably, it did so uh, this past two weeks. Yeah, I think two things um, coming out of this tournament. You wonder whether this is a, this is, will be a signal for other tournaments to to um, hardcore tournaments to make their courts faster. Whether you know the Australian Open, I think, has slowly done that. And this year, you could see the difference. Um, um, and I think it does make for more exciting tennis. We'll see if that becomes a trend at other hardcore tournaments and things, places like Indian Wells and Miami. Um, it may or may not. And I think it also shows that I think the positive side of, of a game that's gotten older. Um, I think we generally look at that as somehow as a negative that that the players who are good are older now, and they're not that many young stars coming up that you know you, you do want new people but but this showed the upside in that you, that we've had so long to get to know these people um i think that helps with fans you know when you when you know people like roger rafa venus serena um for so long um i think that's good for i think that's good for tennis that that the stars aren't gone when they're 25 the way bjorn borg and john McEnroe mainly were um that they're that they they have their you see them ups and downs through their careers and then you know coming back up at the end um you know i think i think that's a positive and 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 tennis is in a good place for that for that reason yeah well said i do uh i do like that spin away from uh from everything with uh 
with the way both tours are looking at the moment. Uh, we will address both of them next week as we uh, take a little breath from the Australian Open and make our way forward into February on both tours um, in the tennis world. So for Steve Ahmed, and thank you again for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.